0: Hey guys, and welcome to season two, episode six of the Every Plant Story podcast, the podcast where we share all sorts of plant stories and behind the scenes from the life of us here at Gabriel Plants and around our lovely plant community. My name is Brett. I'm head grower and botanist, and we're switching things up today. So I'm your host for this podcast, along with Zach, our media director here and making his first time podcast appearance, my assistant greenhouse manager, Hunter. Hey, Nice to have you all back on the podcast today. Hunter, your first time. So,
1: really howdy, excited. we got howdy, some howdy. things to talk about. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a good one. Woo!
0: <laughs> all right. So, at the beginning of the podcast, before we get into the meat of it, we like to uh, give you guys some fun informational tidbits that we can go over. So, for today, our botanical term of the day. You guys ready?
1: Oh, yeah. Ready. We get a drum roll.
0: Woo! The botanical term of the day is colifloris. Caulifloris, having flowers and fruits born along the trunk and or branches. So we actually grow two plants in our greenhouses that are caulifloris, as in they uh, present cauliflory, is another way of saying that word, Mm -hmm. where the flowers are born directly from the stem as opposed to being on like a branched inflorescence. And so we have manila, Gregori hombali, and Pavonia multiflora. And so they are really unique in that ability um, to, you know, have the flower right there. It's it's pretty cool. So
1: coliflorus. Is that a um, just kind of evolutionary thing? Is it a, like, is there a specific reason that it does? Does it um, come from?
0: So I am not sure of the evolutionary adaptation of it, but I do know that most Cauloflorus plants are extremely, extremely tropical. Like there are not a whole lot of just temperate. Cauliflorous mm. plants. So it. I assume it has something to do with pollinators. Hmm.
2: Is this related to cauliflower at all?
0: Uh, no. So cauliflower does not produce cauliflorously. So gotcha. So I, I don't have that answer. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. So and that's okay. Uh, I mean, uh, so like
0: I, I'll put the pin here that at the end of the episode, I'll come back and record a segment and I will give you the etymology of cauliflower mm. so we know why it is called that.
2: Stay tuned. Stay tuned.
0: All right. So then after Botanical Trim of the Day, we like to go over some new or upcoming plants in the greenhouse. And so I'm going to turn it over to Hunter. He, I mean, Assistant Greenhouse Manager, he is in the greenhouse every day working away to, to grow the next best thing. So what are what are some things you're excited for?
2: Um, I'd say that we're excited, or me personally, I'm excited for the Philodendron Golden Dragon. Mm. We have maybe under 100 for sure. Um, under 103-inch pots, growing. Um, really excited for that one. S- very similar to Pedatum and bibenifolium.
1: Um,
0: oh yeah, but I mean the the shape of the leaf is way better than Bipennifolium. Yeah, give us biped- give us like better. a
1: visual description of. of
2: I
0: mean, this. The, I think it looks like the head of a dra- mature leaves look like the head of a dragon. Yeah. Which is why it gets that name. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's um, a lot
2: skinnier too, uh, a little bit more narrow. Mm-hmm. Um, another plant I'd say is we have um, Epipremnum. Skeleton Key?
0: Oh, yes. Epipremnum Panatum Skeleton Key is so cool and goes through such a drastic, dramatic change as it matures. Uh, when we were at Selby Gardens in mm-hmm. uh, in Tampa, we saw mature Skeleton Keys, and it they are impressive. It's
2: They're like really night and day. Impressive.
0: So how many of those do you think we have?
2: Uh, I'd say still under 100.
0: We uh, haven't released any of those yet?
2: No. I think Shane might have some, but I, have, I don't mm-hmm. count his with ours. Well,
0: and same... The Golden Dragon came from Shane's stock, um uh, okay, so I'm not sure of the origins of that, but all of the skeleton key that we have came from one plant that I got with Courtney, so hmm. interesting. I, I,
2: I recently it. actually found a golden dragon mother on on one of our benches the other day, okay. actually that I didn't know we had, so that's kind of cool.
0: there you go. chop it up
2: um speaking of dramatic and drastic changes in plants though uh, another one that is up there is dubia mm-hmm. um that we're still growing. I mean, we have released a few. Um, but we're definitely trying new ways to grow it, which may be more successful when we put it in a pot. Uh, I love it. So,
0: yeah, the Monstera mm. dubia is, is amazing. We recorded, Zach and I recorded that video of me mounting that uh, mature one, which, if you want an update, not everything we do is a success. Oh, so that was the really, really big the one. The really, really big one that I had oh, Andre help yeah. me with. So, wait, yeah. that wasn't a
1: su- So the entire,
0: all the leaves died, and all the stem died back, except to right above the pot. It's putting out a new growth. Uh. So it had, it's it rooted, but it's starting completely over.
2: Sometimes you gotta start from the bottom again. Yeah, Yeah.
0: it's fine. We'll go down to our friend in plantation and just get another one off the tree. It'll be okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um. So yeah, those are those are really exciting. So stay tuned, and I mean. Geez, I feel like Shane sometimes will only have 20 pots of something and he'll release a couple. If we have 100 pots of Golden Dragon, maybe, maybe we sneak a couple of those on soon.
1: Yeah, maybe yeah. a little Instagram live Ooh, sale or something. Yeah, mm.
0: um, be fun. So stay tuned. You heard it here first on the podcast. Um, so then, uh, thank you for that, Hunter. I like to go over a new discovery or a scientific paper that I was reading that I, I want to bring to your guys' attention. So this isn't what the podcast is going to be about today, but I do want to just highlight it that this research is kind of going on in the plant world. So the, the title of the article of the paper is Pollinia Transfer on Moth Legs in Hoya Carnosa, Apocynaceae, and it was published June sixteenth, twenty seventeen, and so uh, from the time of twenty thirteen to twenty fifteen, these it looks like there were three uh, three researchers studied wild H- hoya carnosa flowers on this island in Japan, and they tracked and documented all of the moths that came to. Uh, you know, feed on the nectar from the Mm -hmm. Hoya blooms. Um, And they realized, so there's actually very, very, this is like one of three papers that exists on Hoya pollination. There's almost no research out there on Hoya pollination. And so we could spend, and we will in the future, do a whole podcast on Hoyas because they are so incredible. Um, But so they found that the moths that came to visit and, drank on the nectar of these Hoya carnosa blooms, actually were collecting the pollinia sacs. So pollinia sacs are just sacs that have a bunch of pollen in it. So a pollen grain is singular. Pollinia is a group of them that attaches to their legs like a clothespin that then when they fly off and go to the next flower, they stick that pollinia sac that's stuck to their leg in a hole and it gets deposited and releases like the other end of a clothespin into where it needs to in that other Hoya flower to pollinate it. Wow. And so, I mean, they have, I highly recommend if you're interested at all in Hoya pollination, check out this, uh, free access availability of this, um, paper because they have pictures and stuff that shows you like how exactly it gets in it. And let me tell you, I have tried and I'm working on pollinating, uh hoyas that we have in the greenhouse and these pollinia sacs are really really small like really really small um so the fact that it has evolved and adapted in this way to like work specifically with moth legs is so cool it's kind of like the perfect
1: fit for it exactly it it
0: really is like the perfect fit Yeah,
2: i was Um, gonna say we tried to use butterflies before for pollination right
0: yes so uh Great segue, Hunter. Thank you. Um, That, yes, so knowing that naturally Hoya carnosa is pollinated by moths, we can use that to our advantage. So what I've been experimenting with at the greenhouses is we can take some of our Hoyas that are in bloom, put them into a butterfly enclosure... And then basically have the butterflies do the work for us. So since I'm having such a hard time being able to extract it, that naturally they would be feeding and going from flower to flower. So
1: and we'll I, I the, love the uh, little nickname you gave them. It's the the our interns, interns. Yeah. our oh, butterfly interns. Oh, yeah. yeah. So
0: doing the doing the work for me when I when I can't do it. So um,
1: before we get too far, I just want to go back. You said they tracked these moths. Mm. How do you like they indi- like track individual or just track no, like the kind of they sw- were
0: tracking specific flowers and then the various moths that came to oh, okay, it so they okay. weren't tracking the moths themselves they okay. were just um recording how many and the different types of moths that came to that specific
1: flower gotcha i'm just picturing you know like a crew trying to follow a swarm of <laughs> moths, like, just relocating across the state or something but yeah okay makes sense um yeah i mean that's the whole thing
0: they put trackers on a lot of things when i was in college i did a study where we track turtles, box turtles, and Mm. I'd have to like walk through the woods with this giant radio antenna, like trying (laughs) to find these box turtles. That's a whole nother story. Um, So yeah, so definitely check that out. Polinia transfer on moth legs and Hoya carnosa, parentheses, apostanaceae, which is the family. So that leads us to upcoming promotions. Let's talk about it. So today is we're recording this on a Tuesday. So, this weekend is Mother's Day. So, uh, happy Mother's Day to all all you moms, all you grandmas, everyone out there. Everyone has a mother. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of like a given in life. Everyone has a mother. So, mm-hmm. um, happy Mother's Day to everyone there. So, uh, this Friday through Sunday at Shop, if you're local, we will be doing a Mother's Day sale. where it's 50% off everything. 50% yep. off you're, everything. Yep
1: everything. Because
0: wow. not only is it a Mother's Day sale, but Mother's Day last year was when Gabriella Plant shop opened. So this is yeah. also a one-year celebration happy birthday to shop. So 50% off. Go check it out. And Is that true? We're going to have Gringos Locos?
1: Uh, No, sorry. That is for the Mother's Day event. I did not write that correctly. All right. So I'm I'm, sipping. uh, This is, yeah.
0: Maybe we won't cut this out. You can see how we're not perfect all the time. But so (laughs) uh, on Friday at Shop, we are doing a sip and social event with a twist. So normally, sip and social events are. bring whatever alcoholic beverage, non-alcoholic beverage you want to shop. And for two hours, you can ask me any botanical question you have, and I will do my best to answer it. And I think I've only been stumped one or two times. After yeah. after I told Alec that there was nothing that he could uh, ask me that I didn't know. Oh, he came prepared. He came prepared, yeah, yeah he came prepared. <laughs> um, so uh, not only are you going to be able to drink and hang out with me and ask me your questions, but this one is going to be a paint and social um, and so we have, uh, canvases that Daniela is etching a really pretty design of a Calathea beauty star on. So you can come and paint with our easels and our, uh, brushes and, and, and your brushes and, and your canvases. And we have all the paint brushes. That was the word I was thinking. <laughs> thank you. Um, and at that event, we also will have free Gringos Locos, which is an amazing taco Mexican place. Yummy. Um, so, yes, if you are local, please uh, check out. You can sign up for the event on Shopify or on Shopify, on our website. Um, <laughs> GabrielPlants.com. GabrielPlants.com. Um, it's, and just check out like you normally would if you were buying a plant. Um, as well, uh, check out the sale that will go the whole weekend for 50% off. So, Really exciting. And there's always events. We have events every month at shop. So please uh, look online on the website and sign up for all future events. All right. So are we are ready to get into it? Yes. Hunter's ready to talk. He's he's chomping at the bit. He's, he's over here he's just ready. like, yeah, moving yep.
1: around. I can tell he's antsy. Just, so, he's got some knowledge to <laughs> drop right now.
0: It is beginning of May. And here in Florida, it is really full-fledged spring i mean we are in the heat of it both literally and figuratively yeah, like zach was definitely. recording a video earlier and he was dripping in sweat yeah we i was like i need to start bringing another shirt this <laughs> is bad <laughs> and so i want to talk about what that looks like for the consumer for the customers that buy our plants what that means to be in spring for them and also what it looks like for us in the greenhouse i mean so what's what's probably the biggest thing now is is water you think hunter
2: uh, biggest thing in terms of
0: like the fact that it's spring now
2: oh uh yeah watering is a, a, a daily thing it's like you can never ever be caught up <laughs> you know it's the plants are thirsty and if you water in the morning you have to water in the afternoon mm-hmm. um
1: what's the typical like watering schedule and does it change when you go into the hotter months
2: It definitely does change. Like in winter, you know, you don't need to water as much, and there can be such thing as overwatering because then the plant doesn't dry out. You know, it's too Mm -hmm. cold, so you can almost freeze it. Um, Whereas in summer, like even if you soak it, you know, it's only good for a set amount of time. Like I said, you could water at nine a.m. and then by four p.m. need to water again.
0: Between between the heat of the actual greenhouse and and the passive airflow and the evaporation that comes with that, with the Speed that the plants are growing and uptaking the water and using up the water. That yeah, like it. It is a forever battle.
2: Yeah, like you could spend almost all day watering from front to back just at our location. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. As as well as that, you know, with all the watering that we do, the plants are growing like weeds. You know, uh they're getting super, super tall to the point where we aren't even able to ship them anymore. <laughs> uh, and then they go to shop. So buy them now. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You'll get a ready plant, no doubt. Oh yeah. And so, I mean, that's something
0: that, yeah, there's some plants that we could stick in pots from TC in December, and we wait from December all the way to March, three months for them to be ready, which is like 12, 13 weeks, whereas that same plant, we could stick now and have it ready in four to six weeks. Absolutely. it, It is drastic. Absolutely. And so then, I mean, with that, what else? So explain passive airflow. So what do you mean by that for the listeners?
2: Uh, okay, so on the sides of the greenhouses that we have, we have curtains that are automated from our lovely tech team. Yes. Um, so we roll them up usually at the beginning of our day because it's already so hot and you know, we want to get as much air as we can because it can get real steamy in the greenhouse, especially if you water. Um, so as the curtains are raised, as you know, the wind blows, it flows through the greenhouse passively. Um, you know, we don't, we have fans, but it just goes on its own accord. We also have top vents above the greenhouse, like near the roofs.
0: Since hot air rises, you know, yeah. it's hot air rises, to cold air sinks.
2: And um, so all that airflow uh, pushes air in and right. essentially dries the plants out and hopefully cools us off a little bit.
0: But the, I don't want to say downside, but The difference because it is passive and not so active would be if we had fans that were actually pushing it like at Brooks we have a uh, we have a fan system we have a drip wall that that is active airflow Mm -hmm. with passive airflow with these curtains we're relying on the fact that hopefully it's a windy day to Mm -hmm. give us some relief from the heat. Right. So because of that, there are some days if we don't have a whole lot of wind, even with the curtains up, it can get really hot. Yeah. Just that still air gets Mm -hmm. to you.
1: Yeah. Especially in those back greenhouses. Yeah.
2: It can be upwards of like 115 degrees (laughs) in the Mm -hmm. hottest parts. Um, yeah and and like i said if you water it just makes it even more humid and that's 100
0: 110 115 degrees at ground level that's not the temperature at the peak of the greenhouse 13 feet up where Mm. the hot air rises absolutely um when i uh one of my first jobs was at strangers garden center in virginia um when i was in high school and so they had glass greenhouses that were pitched at the top um and the for a while they didn't open and so they put a sensor up there and it was originally put in as an alarm so that like if it was too hot people could leave mm. so the it was set at 140 degrees is when the alarm would go off and wow. i'd say oh probably my. once a week it would like off. it would blare yeah oh and there wow, would be cow. i mean we'd have like elderly women or something pass out from time to time like ambulance come like it i mean greenhouses get hot like yeah. uh, courtney we had a uh, greenhouse team meeting this morning and Courtney was mentioning like even if you've worked outside in Florida before this is not that yeah mm-hmm. working in a greenhouse is way different it's hotter it's it's more extreme yeah the extremes the extremes are higher it's
2: definitely something you have to pace yourself with and if you you know go too hard on Monday or Tuesday you're not going to make it through the rest of the week mm-hmm. it's you have, really it's it's a marathon the the heat is no joke mm-hmm. at all and
0: so for the customers, now that it is warming up, I mean, Maria was showing me a graph of, like, there are some places in the U.S. that are still getting 50 degrees, which is crazy, which I did not think about. I can't
1: even, yeah, imagine yeah, that Yeah, right I now. cannot
0: imagine that right now. Um, but even then, that's not 30 degrees, so it is warming up. So s- stay hopeful, people, in 50-degree weather right now that...
1: We'll try to send some of this heat up towards you. We'll turn the fans up north and just start sending it.
0: <laughs> but so some things that you can do now that spring has started is uh, if there were plants that had went dormant or you know had slowed down growth, um, you will start to see more growth now as well you could feel confident in fertilizing. You know that's a that's a great way to wake up your plants is to give them a good boost of fertilizer if you hadn't been doing that all winter, mm-hmm. um, as well. Because I mean, in the northern hemisphere here, because it is spring and summer, the days are going to be longer, um, which means not only more sunlight but also uh, more intense light. Um, so your plants are going to have the ability to make even more energy. Um, that's a great point though talking about sun because now that it is we're out of winter what we run into in the greenhouses is we have shade cloth on the right side so that in the morning or afternoons the sun doesn't burn but because of where the property line is for our greenhouses we can't put shade on the left side Mm -mm. so there's some mornings now where if the curtain rolls up too early we'll get sunburn we'll get sunburn on the edges Mm. of those benches because the sun is just so strong
2: yeah and those plants that are on the edges to dry out even faster than the Mm -hmm. normal plants would because they're right next to the, the airflow, you know, they're closer to the curtain and and such.
0: And so Mm -hmm. like Hunter mentioned talking about, you know, you could spend all day going front to back manually watering, like hand watering. We have, uh, automations for, for all of our irrigation on the benches, but on that same bench, like Hunter was just saying, you could run the automation, but, the edge of it still be super dry compared so mm-hmm. you can't rely fully on the automation to water every everything efficiently
1: right mm-hmm. especially yeah now when it's like if it doesn't get that one day of a good water mm-hmm. it could yeah, guess you can get a little bit
2: behind and yeah. have to really pay attention to the plants
0: well and then not only is the plant drying out which is negatively affecting the health and the growth of the plant but now soil which i think if you go back to episode something or other in season one where we talked about soil as potting media. Um, Soil has the capability of either being hydrophobic or hydrophilic. And so when it dry, there's a point, a threshold where it dries out so much that you could water it, for five minutes and it's still going to repel that water Mm -hmm. um, that it really needs to soak and be consistently hit again and again and again to be able to absorb that water again and so you never want to let the plant, especially commercially speaking in a greenhouse, dry out to that point of like no return Mm -hmm. where now you're spending an exorbitant amount of time on these few plants just to try to get them hydrated again. Yeah, Mm -hmm. And
2: something that's different for the people at home though is you're able to, I mean we can't do this, it's not feasible an option for us, but people at home could bottom water their plants You just stick it in a little uh, dish and it get watered that mm. way.
0: That is the definitely the quickest way to break that hydrophobic cycle.
1: Uh, yeah, just not efficient for us, but if you have plants... Yeah. On- You don't don't want to put
0: 100,000 individual saucers (laughs) under each plant?
1: (laughs) No. No. I was just going to say we could just build a massive little kiddie pool in one of the greenhouses and just throw them in there, (laughs) give them a few
0: hours. Well, and that's the plan for in the back in our greenhouse 13 where we grow our carnivorous. We currently have them in tubs. So Mm -hmm. it is in the plan probably in the next couple of months that we're going to get ebb and flood benches in that basically are like little kiddie pools that you can fill with water Mm -hmm. and then drain. Um, But yeah, it's it's not efficient or effective for... To grow every plant like that. So there actually are some nurseries here in Apopka that actually grow all their plants on ebb flood benches. Like, I mean, Hunter and I visited a place that had uh, allocations growing in ebb flood benches in like 100% peat. And they looked great. Yeah, they mm. looked great. And, you know, Hunter and I are looking at each other like, if we tried to grow our allocations to say, they would all rot. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> all rot. So everyone has their own way of doing it. And, you know, not every way is, not one way is better than the other. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it it's pretty interesting. But yeah, I like the kiddie pool idea. Yeah. Plus, I mean, you know, we would have greenhouse staff sitting in those kiddie pools. Yeah. If we <laughs>
2: had that. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the main reason I it. <laughs> I wish we had a slip and slide. That'd be. Cool. Oh yeah, that would be good. Back to the spring thing, though. Uh, yes. For the people at home, this is a great time as your plants are waking up, or if they were dormant. Uh, as Brett said, fertilizing would be a great way to wake them up. Uh, it's now a safe time too to start repotting and mm-hmm. propagation and stuff like that. This is now the perfect time. So that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Repot. Um, definitely, definitely repot. And you do want to, like, if the plant needs repotted, I would do it now in the next couple of weeks and Mm -hmm. then don't mess with it again until like end of fall. If you had to like, don't, you know, try to, try to give yourself either do it now or it has to wait. Um, because, repotting as we know is beneficial because it gives the plant more room for roots and nutrients and everything but it is traumatic in the fact that even if you're the most careful person with repotting it still does rip some roots and and the trauma with that so
2: yeah you want to do it now and let it acclimate before doing it right before winter you know and then kind of disturbing it and then letting it fall into a cold
1: season you know i Mm. couldn't have
0: said that any better so yeah that was great Good
1: job. <laughs> See, now I'm going to go home and start looking at all my plants. Yeah. I'm like, all right, what do you guys need? <laughs> I was there recently. It's not too bad. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, <laughs> they're doing pretty well. Good. Good. Yeah. He's, he's come a long way. I have. <laughs> I've come, yeah, a long way. He's not killing them. There's, there's a little plant graveyard in the back. But <laughs> it um, Yeah. They gave think their the, lives.
0: The, I, I was reading this thing. Like the, the most avid plant collectors have killed the most plants. That's a good point. Because it's just... Trial it's, and error. Exactly. It's how you learn. Um, I told you, I, I've admitted on this podcast before, that Wolwitzia mirabilis that only ever has the two leaves that can grow to be a thousand years old. Like, I've killed three of them. It's one of the rarest plants <laughs> in the world. Yeah. I've killed three. I have one now. It's doing great. But I had to learn. Yeah.
2: yeah. Brett has a, an Amidrium zepelionum tattooed on him. And I think probably within the first three or four months of me knowing him, he gave me that uh, that plant, not the tattoo. <laughs> uh, and I killed it. So, yeah. I mean, it happens.
0: But there's always more. There's always
2: more. There's always more.
0: All right. So on the topic of spring has sprung, things are going crazy in the greenhouse. You had mentioned, you know, some plants are growing so fast that they are, because we sell primarily online, they can only be a certain height before they are too big to fit in the box. And then they have to go be sold at shop. What are we doing or, you know, what can we see happening um, to kind of mitigate that and like help these plants. I mean, I will say from the consumer point, if you guys just bought the plants, if you just bought all the plants, <laughs> we wouldn't have to worry about it. So, Absolutely. you know, that's, that's the plug there Buy the plants.
2: But- um, so two main options that we use at the greenhouse to combat plants that are too tall, um, happen to be growth regulator and okay. cutting it back. Um, it's kind of up to you whether you what you like to do. If you mm. like to cut your plant back, I personally love to cut mine back and watch it rise from the ashes like mm-hmm. a phoenix. Yeah. However, <laughs> however, some people don't like that. Um, but there is a chemical that we use. Um, I'm not familiar with the exact name, but yeah, it's. I'll,
0: I'll jump in here. So, um, so PGRs is what they're known as, plant growth regulators. It's a it's a group a type of chemical that actually is a hormone, one of six uh, essential plant hormones. Uh, Most of the PGRs that are used are gibberellins. So gibberellins are one of six main plant hormones um, that gibberellins naturally act in a plant to uh, expand and extend uh, internode space and, and cellular spacing which, to put that in perspective, is like when a plant blooms and the flower spike is really, really tall above the rest of the plant, that is gibberellins at work making that stalk super, super long really, Mm. really fast. And so what the PGRs do basically is affects the plant in a way that it either halts, stunts, or slows down that production and use of gibberellin in that way. And so we don't anymore, but we used to use PG... Before I joined the team, we used PGRs on Syngoniums. Mm -hmm. Um, Because Syngoniums, as you know, are... As you, as in the people may know, are vining plants. Mm -hmm. But we sell them as, you know, nice, full, bushy heads. And so we would give... We would put PGR on them to kind of keep them nice and and tight longer. Um, But... We don't grow that many syngoniums anymore, and some of the other ones we grow, like Aurydum, uh, is kind of vining. But yeah. I like I like it as a vine, so we sell it as a vine.
2: Yeah, I would say the plants that we usually uh, use PGR on, or that the plants that are at least too tall for us now, are mainly ficus and alocasia. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we use it on an alocasia, it'll stop right in its tracks. I mean, and it, it'll still put out new growth, but it doesn't grow beyond the height that it is, and mm-hmm. they are very clumpy and tight-formed um, would still look nice. It gives it a little bit of a different look compared to like the tall right. and lanky allocation. And
0: it's not a forever fix. So I like I don't I don't that, want yeah. the people at home to think like Oh my God, you're putting this chemical on this plant that's going to stunt my plant forever. Really, an application is only good at max four to six weeks, and then the effects kind of wear off. So you then either would have to reapply or just let it revert to its natural state. Gotcha. But yeah, gotcha. I I mean I think allocations with the right amount of PGR are super pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it keeps them cute in a four inch pot, you know? Um, but even though it slows down the, I say there's like dead air there. I'm like trying to think about how to say this. It slows down the growth as in the size of the growth, not the rate of the growth. Mm. So the plant will still produce new leaves and new roots just as fast just the actual size and length of that internodal spacing of those new leaves and roots are going to be tighter.
1: Mm, especially in like indoor, like house environments. You know, mm-hmm. most, a lot of people don't have the space to let it go crazy, do its right. thing. Right. So to be able to have something like that where it kind of just keeps it contained, mm-hmm. but doesn't actually damage or yeah, affect and, the plant. And
0: PGRs, gibberellins, are a. a hormone that the plants naturally produce you don't need a pesticide license to buy them so if you are interested in you know experimenting and using pgrs on your plants you definitely can find them online um to use i say it i feel like i say it every podcast at this point but plants are about experimenting so yeah definitely if this is interesting to you try it out let us know yeah um and yeah so you said also ficus for sure because the ficus
2: we've we've come a long way with ficus i mean we We used to grow them in shade and now we grow them in full sun to make them a bit hardier. Hardier Mm. and brighter colors.
0: And also by having that higher light, it does naturally um, shrink the size of those internodes. Right. Um, But even with short internodes, they just grow so fast. Absolutely. Especially Um,
2: in in spring.
0: Especially in spring. And so then what you run into is like if we get in uh, from tissue culture, let's see, a, a Ficus Ruby single. That single term there means that it's one plant in the pot. It's not a clump. So using the two different methods also gives you two different outcomes of a finished plant.
2: I was just about to say that. So if (laughs) if you cut your plant back, like I said, I'm a a personal fan of this. And like Brett was saying, experiment. So definitely experiment with this. Uh, Cutting your plant back allows it to grow out a little bit bushier. So if you have the one and Mm -hmm. you cut it, it could. I don't want to say grow into two, but it could mm-hmm. come out with two or more uh, growth points, correct? And start to clump and be a little bit bushier. So instead of having the one plant, you know, have several, and it, I don't know, right. it's a little bit or, more fun Or, or you then.
0: can use PGR on the single, and then you just get one short, stocky plant. Really, I think it's customer preference. I personally like a singular plant. Um, it gives it a statement, especially as a ficus, it gives you a trunk, but also me over here talking about my 13 foot ficus with a trunk is different than a a four inch, you know, bushy ficus elastica ruby. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, so I'll dive in a little bit further to what Hunter is saying is that plants have two different, uh, meristematic growth point regions. You have your apical meristem and your lateral meristem. So apical is going to be your apex, which is your tip. So naturally plants, uh, predominantly start out with as they grow from seed or tissue culture, whatnot. The apical meristematic region has dominance over the lateral. That's why plants grow up as opposed to out initially. But when you induce that trauma of removing the apical meristem, it then allows and activates growth in the lateral meristematic regions, which are going to be your side shoots, which is why the plant then pushes out. Mm -hmm. That's not to say the plant won't then develop new apical meristematic regions from each of those lateral shoots, but that's just how that works.
2: Some plants definitely are better as singles. Um, like ficus, they you know, they look prettier. They make a statement like mm-hmm. Brett is saying. Some of the plants we grow look better as a bush instead. Of course. And having just the one singular stalk in a four-inch pot, it's too skinny. It doesn't look like it fills up the space. So we cut mm-hmm. it back to give it the customer a little bit more of a plant, and it looks better that way instead of having just one long, very skinny, lanky thing in the pot. Mm.
0: Well, mm. and then even... That's, that's a great point that not only... Can we cut the one plant and get it bushier? But also there are plants that we have that maybe two years ago we produced as one cutting in a pot that now because we either have a plethora of cutting we have so many cuttings or market is now offering plants that are fuller that we are now starting to grow a lot of our plants bigger and beefier than Mm -hmm. we once were.
2: For sure. Yeah, we're trying to up our game. Yeah, absolutely. More
0: bang for your buck is definitely always what we're about. We want to oh, we want yeah. to give the customers everything we possibly can.
1: Oh yeah, the more plant, the better.
0: The more plant, the better. Yeah,
1: that just
2: reminded me of another long term production plant that Ooh, we have. Okay, um, mm. which are philodendron billy tie, billy tae, however yep. you'd like to say it. Um, we were growing them four inch, and we did release a small batch, um, and they were beautiful. Um, we did them over winter. So, or we, I think we cut them in fall or spring and then they mm-hmm. grew over winter. So it took them a really long time. Um, but we're now growing five inch, um, a lot more mature cuttings in yes. a five inch. So yeah, are those,
1: are those doing really well?
2: They are doing, I watch them every day. Um, <laughs> I, I did them myself. So
1: you sing to them in the morning, <laughs> uh, Just you did them bit.
0: yourself. So that means that if the customer gets one of these plants and scans our story stake, you will show them that Hunter
2: Include and and the what? date that I did it and the, the date you did it. Yep. Say which what? I I should scan one because I don't remember the date, but it um it feels like forever ago. But they are starting to put out new growth, which is cool. Ooh. Um, and the cuttings are more mature, so they'll kind of look like s- a little similar to our Jose's. I'd say mm. I think they fit. And mm. a I love
0: Phildon Billetier. Billetier. There it, mm. there it is. Um, named after uh
1: Billy Eilish. <laughs> 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 say the same thing. No,
0: um. Her first name is escaping me, but she's the uh, aeroid explorer, um, Miss Billet, uh, who discovered it. And hmm. I believe it was French Guiana. She discovered it. Um, Where is and, that? Uh, Like Pacific Island. It's a Pacific Island. That's super cool. Yeah. Hmm. Um, That's an interesting name as that well. That could be wrong. I'm going to come back on and fact check that at the end as well. So, yeah. yeah stay tuned. I'll give you the rundown on the Billetier. <laughs> but, yeah. Actually, I was. this is a small tangent, but there, there is a international air society but there's also a european air society and european air society just had a meeting somewhere i think it was switzerland and uh miss Billette like talked to the group and gave them a tour of the herbarium and of course i'm sitting there on instagram like oh my goodness like what i would give to like have that experience um Mm. but yeah these these plant explorers they devote their lives to this so it's cool i hope to have a plant named after me one i was
2: gonna say you're on that track i feel like so
0: yeah yeah at this point at 27 yeah i think you know i got some years left in me but yeah oh yeah but also it's not the uh like culture is you don't name a plant after yourself like in order to get a plant species named after you it has to be dedicated to you by like someone else and you mm-hmm. have to be like a name in the society you're in the yeah
1: so there's a lot of plants that that they're named after somebody that didn't actually discover it but it's kind of like a dedication to exactly. that person.
0: Like uh Enid Offalter um who runs NSC Tropicals, great friend, we love her. Um she just had an anthurium named after her. So, oh, wow. so yeah, anthurium Offalter uh, Offalteri I I believe, yeah. That's super um, cool. That's super I know. super cool. I feel
2: like you have to have a great uh, surrounding of friends, mm-hmm. you know, to do that as well. Well,
0: I and mean, that's part of the plant community is we're a very tight knit plant community, I think, especially as you get higher up in the in the commercial growing and the explorers, like we all we all have the same goal of sharing these plant stories. Mm-hmm. Um, not yeah, not here just at Gabriel Plants, but I think everyone who grows plants is interested in in sharing the the plant stories and what makes them unique and awesome and Yeah, that does have a cool uh, community that comes with that. So I think we did pretty good. Um, So I want to say some like final uh, wrapping up touches for everyone at home that now it is spring. Not only should you be watering more frequently, um, fertilizing more often, but I want to touch on the fact that now, as I mentioned, the light is getting stronger. Be aware that if you had a plant, that you moved closer to the window for winter to get more light, you may need to back off the window a little bit so that you don't experience burn or sun stress or anything like that. So just be cognizant of your varying light levels in your home. Um,
2: on the contrary, on, at, okay. Uh, on the contrary, me personally, uh, hot take. In, <laughs> in terms of <laughs> experimentation, maybe your plant is—you uh, can make it a little bit hardier by putting mm, it in the sun, and maybe yes. the first few leaves will die, but then it'll adjust.
0: And mm. it, and that is a great that is a great truth because yeah if you put a plant out in the full sun all those leaves will burn up but it will produce new full green leaves in that new light condition.
2: However, don't come at us if your plant dies. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, this is experiment. <laughs>
0: experiment at your own. Do it, but do it at your own risk. Yeah, learn from it. So. Uh, thank you, Hunter, for being here, Zach, as always, and uh, everyone listening at home. I hope you enjoyed this and stay tuned for more. And as as you remember here at Gabriel Plants, we're always growing more. Uh, so until next time, bye, guys.
1: See ya. Adios.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Everyone, hi, this is Brett here uh, at the end, giving you a recap on a couple things I wanted to touch on. So, uh, I said I wasn't sure what the etymology of uh, cauliflorus was, and so I looked it up. And so, the Latin caulus, which now means cabbage but originally meant stem or stalk, and so that actually makes the term cauliflorus make a lot of sense. If cauliflorus is stem or stalk, florus being flower, and a cauliflorous plant is a plant that produces the flower directly from the stem or stalk. It's kind of like right there in the in the word cauliflower. And so cauliflower uh, refers to the fact that it is a uh, tight stack of flowers on that stem. So even though cauliflower, we call cauliflower because it makes sense. It is not actually uh, cauliflower because it doesn't bloom directly from that stem. So, yeah, interesting. All right, so that was that one as well. Let me touch on the Philodendron Biletiae, uh topic uh, that we were discussing. So, Philodendron Billetier was first discovered by Frida Billet in 1981 in lowland tropical rainforest in French Guiana. So I was correct in the fact that it was discovered in French Guiana. I was very wrong in the geographical location of French Guiana. French Guiana is not a Pacific island, it is in the uh, northern part of South America. Um, so she discovered it there in the rainforest and then living material from that plant was collected and introduced to cultivation in the greenhouses of the National Botanic Garden of Belgium at Mies. And so we owe every uh, billettier that anyone has uh, to, to Frida. So thank you very much, Frida. Uh, so billetier is a hemi-epiphytic species of plant in the genus Philodendron native to Brazil, Guiana, and French Guiana. So there you go.